Although rare, the occurrence of CIED infection is an important complication which can and must be treated effectively. Infections can occur at any time during the lifetime of the device, even many years after the implantation, and so may be overlooked. Welcome to the CIED Infection Podcast. The time we are wasting in diagnosis is one of the key things that may uh, promote a poor clinical outcome. Hello, welcome. This is Nicola Montano, professor of internal medicine at the University of Milan. And we will talk about CAD infection. And we know that uh, when uh, a patient is dealing with CAD infection, there are emotions often involved. And this is uh, true in, in, in all for all the clinical medicine. The faster the pathway to the solution, the better for the patient. So, however, this is not always the case. And to talk about this, I invited Mauro Biffi, director of the electrophysiology at the Sant'Orsola Hospital in Italy, and Ignacio Ferreira, head of cardiology department at Valdebron Hospital in Spain, to talk about their recent cases to illustrate this concept. Hello, both. Hi, Nicola. Hi. So, uh, Ignacio, let's start uh, with you. Uh, you are a general cardiologist, so you don't implant, you don't extract. And so I'm curious to understand what makes you particularly interested in this topic. Yes, you're right, Nicola. I do not implant nor extract any device. Actually, I am involved in a, in a hard team for the diagnosis and management of infective endocarditis. So I have experienced many patients with CID infections, and I can assure you that this is one of the most potentially complicated forms of endocarditis in case of the delay in the diagnosis and the treatment. So maybe perhaps for, for this, I'm so motivated trying to fill this gap in the healthcare and to have these patients or the management of these patients, yes. Yeah, thank you, Ignacio. I totally agree with you. And, and it's very impactful for a patient when treatment is delayed, really, in any case. So, Mauro, uh, you have a particular case you wanted to share with us. Uh, could you tell more about this? Uh, yes. Going back to what Ignacio has told us, uh, many times it's very difficult and uh, intricate to reach a diagnosis of uh, endocarditis in a CID patient, especially when the endovascular portion of the system is involved. Uh, but I remember a case of a gentleman that we implanted with the CRTD unit. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a sad case because of, of uh, the uh, long uh, time it took to get the right diagnosis and then to reach the proper treatment. This gentleman got the CRTD, but had significant comorbidities because he had type 2 diabetes mellitus and uh, mildly reduced kidney function. So you can expect things were not so easy for him as he had also peripheral artery disease, which is a quite common finding in a diabetic patient. Um, he had a, a very successful CRTD implant and improved heart failure status, so he was really happy. 
But then around 15 months after implantation, he developed uh, serious symptoms because of a comorbidity. And that was the peripheral artery disease coming to speak to the medical community because he got ulceration at two fingers on the right foot. And so was seen uh, very keenly on uh, the cardiovascular surgery unit to get the proper treatment of this disease. Uh, this gentleman got uh, percutaneous revascularization of the right leg and uh, topical uh, treatment of the, the fingers. But then a couple of uh, weeks later, he developed a feverish, less than 35.5 degrees. So was seen at the emergency room because he felt something was not going right. And uh, while well, he was evaluated, there was nothing on chest X-ray and was discharged on amoxicillin clavulonate oral treatment. Uh, he felt things were not improving, and after two weeks he showed up again in the emergency room, this time with more consistent fever. And uh, then uh, the vascular surgeon decided that the, four, the fingers were not going well, and he had to undergo uh, surgical toilette plus amputation of the distal part of the fingers and the patient was really disappointed because uh, after having put his hope on improvement he would really feel a failure uh, but then he was discharged home again with oral antibiotics plus uh, gentamicin intramuscular three weeks again fever started to have bouts like uh night sweats, uh, uh, fever chills, shaking, and he came in with a cl clearly septical partner, pattern of, of fever. Uh, at that point, it was admitted to a medical ward, but things worsened, and uh, he became really a close-to-shock septic patient, was admitted to the ICU. And at that point, things got really troublesome because heart failure came over, he developed uh, almost acute renal insufficiency. And at that point, finally, the, the suspicion of uh, endocarditis was raised and the echocardiography was taken and the uh, vegetations were detected on the atrial side of the leads while blood cultures showed a um, methicillin resistance to Philococcus aureus so the, the picture was clear. We, we were in front of a patient with septic status due to CID infection. And then uh, we had to talk seriously to move fast to lead extraction. But the patient was so depressed that he felt, well, if there is a risk, I'm going to die. And this will never, will never solve and I'm bound to death. Although, you know, it was a short time, relatively short time from implantation, so the extraction was really uneventful and easy in this specific case. But the course after the extraction was again dramatic because he had to undergo antifiltration due to multi-organ failure related to the septic shock. And really a, a horrible course. And he was discharged alive after 40 days, but almost deaf because of toxicity of vancomycin and, and diuretics. So indeed, his quality of life was completely disrupted. Uh, really sad because we, we saw this going on relentless. There was never a focus on the patient. 
Thank you very much, Mauro. As an internist, I would say that this is uh, really the, the typical patient that we admit in our wards. So, you know, multimorbid patients. And according to me, it sounds really like uh, this is a typical case of delay in the clinical pathway. What do you think? Absolutely. That, that is the most dramatic thing. You, you always find what you are looking for. And if you don't uh, think, imagine what might be beyond a patient like this, you don't look. And even a, a simple test is delayed, like echocardiography or uh, blood culture. Uh, and this is the reason why we are here, to increase the awareness about the CIAD infection. Uh, Another point is, where do patients present? So, because this is also a, a very important point. Yeah, that is, this is the, the, the most important point in my view, because after the device has been implanted, um, rarely the patients show up to the um, outpatient device follow-up clinic where the focus on this item is very high because we are well aware. So it's really important that the cardiologic community and the internal medicine community are aware of this, but this should be in the hands of uh, emergency room department, surgical department, because this is a very broad concept. Every patient who has an implanted um, prosthesis, an implanted device, uh, in case of fever, should be investigated for an infection related to the device. And this should be applied also in surgical departments, emergency room and GPs as well. The general practitioner may be the first one giving uh, an advice to the patient. Think that you have implanted foreign bodies in, in, in your vascular or in your hip or in your knee, wherever it is. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you, Mauro. And Ignacio, you said you have experienced delays in treatment uh, as well in your hospital. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, yes. Uh, let me tell you, uh, this is a different, little different story. But uh, yeah, it was not a problem with diagnosis, but with the treatment. 69 years old male with hypertension, diabetes and dyslipidemia. Most importantly, the patient had end-stage renal disease that require regular hemodialysis. And because of this reason, the patient had an arteriovenous fistula implanted. And the patient also had been implanted a pacemaker eight years before because of atrioventricular block. Anyway, the patient started with fever and chills and he was admitted to a secondary regional center. And yeah, initially, they did very well. They took several blood cultures. Three of them were positive to staphyloarius. And uh, one day later, they performed a TEE, uh, which confirmed large vegetation attached to the right ventricular lead of the pacemaker. So they started with intravenous triple intravenous antibiotic therapy, what it is good, but they didn't contact any referral hospital for the whole system extraction. So three or four weeks later, they contact to our center to transfer the patient, but because of persistence of the fever, and the patient was finally admitted to our center, but in a critical condition. Of the whole system, it was removed and it was successful, but 
Uh, unfortunately, one day later, the patient died of complications periprocedural, septic shock, and massive thrombosis of the arteriovenous fistula. Yeah, and that was uh, the devastating consequences of the delay in the referral in this case, yes. So a difference with the previous case, here we are in front of the case in which the diagnosis was, uh, let's say, on time, but the treatment was delayed for the lack of knowledge of guidelines. So, and this is another... Um, we talk at the beginning, you know, I started in my introduction talking about the mental condition of the patient. And we know that uh, in, in medicine, uh, the, the delay of a diagnosis may impact uh, mentally on the patient very badly. So how was the mental state of your patient when he arrived to you? In my case, uh, yeah, uh, the patient and the relatives were well informed about the conditions and uh, they were informed that they were to be transferred, the patient had to be transferred to another center for the whole system removal. And yeah, that was okay. But the problem is that the relatives and of course the patient expected a good outcomes for the removal of the of the of the whole system. And yeah, it's very it was very hard to inform them to inform them about the complications uh, procedural that finally cause the death of the patient. That, so, Nicola, you can imagine that uh, it was devastating uh, in this case for the relatives, yes. And so uh, this is a question for the, both, of, both of you regarding the case that you presented. What do you think uh, the physician should have done differently? So, Mauro, you first. Yeah, first first thing is that uh, we shall all remember that in the event of a CID infection, 30 days mortality is 95% related to the medical condition that the patient has at his clinical presentation and not to the complication that might occur during lead extraction. So we must be very, very well aware that the time we are wasting in diagnosis is one of the key things that may uh, promote a poor clinical outcome. We, we, we must do the best to our knowledge to rule out an endovascular CID infection, which has a tremendous mortality, just like a massive valve endocarditis, as Ignacio pointed out. So we, we must increase the awareness of every physician to raise the suspicion of the infection and do the right steps to confirm or rule out CID infection. Increase awareness is key because you always find what you're looking for. And if you don't think, you don't look for. That is the first key thing. Then Ignacio, you, you should add something because diagnosis is not the only step we need to do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I would say that once uh, it's confirmed the CID infection, please refer immediately for complete removal of the whole system. And very important, I would also add uh, to very mind that the longer the delay in referral for system extraction, the higher the risk of the procedure. So you have to take this into account when informing the patient and the relatives about the potential risk of the procedure. So thank you. So uh, 
again, just to reinforce what you have just saying, so we have to really have in mind that giving clear and good information to the patient is very important, is crucial, you know, for uh, for also for all the clinical, is a part, let's say, of our uh, clinical uh, management. Okay, so thank you. Uh, so do you, do you have any other comment to something, anything to add? You, you, you opened a, a very good point that is patient empowerment is the other side of the moon, the brightest one, because if the patient is aware himself, then he can uh, wake us before things get too worse. And that, that's, that's probably the, the, the thing we are forgetting many times to empower the patient and be an active part of the diagnostic pathway. I fully agree Ex with Paul. Exactly. We have to consider patient, uh, patient empowerment as a part of our uh, clinical management. So thank you very much, Mauro and, and uh, uh, Ignacio. And so uh, thank you for sh sharing with us your patient's history. And to summarize, I would say that, first of all, CIED infection should be suspected in any specialist, uh, by any specialist, assessing a patient with fever or sign of infection. There is a simple rule of thumb. Infection plus device means extraction. So also in case of doubt, refer and refer early. This is the only way the patient will have the best outcome and the most positive experience. If you would like to know more about what we as a physician can do to improve the care pathway for CID infection patient, listen to our next podcast or visit the website deviceinfection.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you. This series of podcasts is intended to increase awareness of CIED infection and the life-saving treatment of CIED system extraction. This podcast is supported by Philips.